The whole point of, I think your responsibility as a mentee is to capitalize on that time and get qualitative access to what your mentor is doing. And so invariably, you know, associates would laugh at me and they would say, I never see you at the bars. I never see you at dinners. I never see you on the golf course. And I would say, aha, but you do see me in court. Hello, I'm Yumika Anderson Howard, DNI manager at Dwayne Morris. This week on Dwayne Morris DNI 360 with Joe West, I have the honor of introducing our guest, who is the Chief Legal Officer and GC of Big Ten Conference, Erica McKinley, as she discusses leadership, mentoring, and the C-suite. Hello, 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 everybody. This is Joseph West. I'm a partner here at Dwayne Morris. I also have the privilege of serving as the firm's Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer. And with me is the one and only Ms. Erica McKinley. Erica, say hello. Hi, Joe. How are you? Hello, everyone. I'm doing great. Good to see you as always. So uh, Erica is uh, one of those really, really extraordinary people in our profession who has distinguished herself in a number of ways, uh, and all of them remarkable. She started her career, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, with a couple of major firms, uh, Arnold Porter, Aiken Gump. Uh, from there, she transitioned to a place that I know well, uh, Walmart. We overlapped for a small time at Walmart, and she had a fantastic career there, distinguishing herself uh, in the white collar space. Uh, from there, she has had a succession of leadership roles uh, including with the uh, uh, NBA Players Association. She was the, uh, was it COO there, Erica? Chief Operating Officer, yes. Chief Operating Officer there. Uh, from there, she was a general counsel at uh, Ole Miss, University of Mississippi. And uh, she left there to take a leadership role with the Big Ten, where she is currently uh, still working. Uh, Erica, tell us, first of all, uh, about your foray into that first subject matter area that we talked about, uh, the white collar space. Then we'll talk a little bit about your expertise in uh, sports. And then I wanna talk a little bit about the confluence between those two practice areas uh, and how there might be similarities that people might not think about. Okay, well, thank you, Joe, for that. And thank you so much for having me. Um, this afternoon, I'm really looking forward to our discussion. You know, in terms of my first foray into white collar criminal defense, I can honestly say it happened to me. I'm going to date myself. You know, I remember a time when Sarbanes-Oxley did not exist and the RICO statute was not as actively litigated as it is now. And when those two specific dip disciplines came into play, it changed our client needs and the type of services we wanted to provide our clients. I was at Aiken Gump at the time. And so I immediately recognized that this was a new fertile ground, not only for my development as an associate, but for how the firm could service its clients. And I literally knocked on a partner's door, somewhat ambitious, her name was Michelle Roberts. And I said, I'd like to marry my associate development needs with your client service needs. And that's how it started. I learned early in my career, uh, partners were looking for help. She threw the work at me, I delivered, and it was a pie eating contest where the prize was more pie. The more I worked, the more I delivered, the more I delivered, the more I worked. 
That's how it started. Oh my gosh, I should be writing this down. I'm gonna steal that <laughs> line. Uh, that, that I think uh, is probably really good advice for young lawyers, particularly who find themselves uh, at large firms. A couple of things I just learned right there, go get it, go ask for the opportunity. Uh, secondly, when you get the opportunity, deliver. Uh, and then thirdly, that pie eating analogy, uh, the more you work, you know, the more, the more pie you got to eat. Uh, and the other thing is, I mean, Michelle is like just an absolute rock star in our profession. So, uh, you had the benefit of some great mentoring. So talk a little bit about that dynamic, the whole importance of a asserting oneself, but then B, being a good mentor and being a good mentee as well, and how important that is to one's growth and development in the profession. Sure. I will start with what it means to be a good mentee. One of the things I learned early in my career, it was very easy for a partner to say, particularly when I was a young associate, join me for drinks, let's have dinner, I'll stop by at the end of the day. And I would always ask myself, is that the best use of my time or the partner's time? As opposed to joining you for dinner, how about I join you in the next client meeting? Allow me to listen and observe. As opposed to me joining you for drinks, how about I tag along to your next court appearance? You know, the whole point of, I think your responsibility as a mentee is to capitalize on that time and get qualitative access to what your mentor is doing. And so invariably, you know, associates would laugh at me and they would say, I never see you at the bars. I never see you at dinners. I never see you on the golf course. And I would say, aha, but you do see me in court. You do see me in litigation strategy meetings. You do see me in client meetings. And so that was, would be the advice if I had to talk to younger associates today, capitalize on that time and be mindful of what you're asked to do as opposed to looking for those social or networking opportunities. That's just brilliant advice because, <laughs> you know, at the end of the year, you're not going to be evaluated on how many martinis you had, but if you attended X number of depositions or if you had a certain number of meetings with the clients, right. uh, that's going to bode well for your evaluation and your long-term prospects in terms of business development, engaging yourself with the clients and eventually developing your own book of business. That's right. You know, it was a constant preoccupation of mine to let my clients and my partners know that I was accessible for work. And some advice that Vernon Jordan gave me early on, he said to me, treat these partners as if they're your most important clients and everything becomes easy after that. Take your ego out of it, take your feelings out of it and double down on client service and the rest becomes easy. He told me that. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the late, great Vernon Jordan. Uh, that's something else you and I have in common. We both were fortunate enough to have him as a mentor. As a matter of fact, uh, I was in the process of transitioning from Walmart to the Minority Corporate Council Association. And Vernon was one of a couple of people who I talked with when I was in the process of making that transition. And uh, the time that I was uh, sort of transitioning out of Walmart, Vernon mentioned you by name, told me <laughs> to make sure I looked out for you. Uh, I quickly learned that you didn't need looking out for, that you were, uh, quite capable of taking care of yourself but the good thing is that it gave me the opportunity to get to know you for a bit there and, and uh to, we've fortunately stayed in touch then so let's talk about your time at walmart to the extent you can you know the 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 thing that uh that we all know about that fortune one that we worked at is that 
you know, if there is a type of legal matter, Walmart either uh, has had it, currently <laughs> has it, or will have it. Uh, and your experience there, I think, helped propel your career even further. So talk a little bit about the work that you did uh, in Bentonville and beyond. Oh, right. You know, I can't take credit for this phrase. I believe it was Sam, Sam Walton who said, the company is filled with ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And that was literally my experience there. I had the pleasure of joining um, a global aviation and securities team headed by Robert Balf. And it stands out as one of the highlights of my career. It was a shot heard around the world when the New York Times broke the FCPA Mexico matter for Walmart. I spent almost two years traveling primarily to various pockets of Central America, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Mexico, Brazil, Chile, investigating um, alleged violations of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, alleged um, allegations of crimes against business, AML issues, anti-corruption issues. And it was a remarkable opportunity because it was the first time in my career I got to work in a multicultural, multi-generational workforce um, with the added um, barrier of there being uh, language barriers and security issues. It was a remarkable time. It's literally where I say I went from good to great in terms of cutting my teeth in the white collar world. The work was very fulfilling, very challenging. And relationships I learned are somewhat more of an imperative than, a, than your subject matter expertise when you start to tra traverse those international waters because you have to bridge that gap, not just the language barrier, but the cultural barriers too. Yeah, it's always a challenge, particularly at a company like Walmart. Interestingly enough, your career took a little bit of a turn after that. Right. Uh, when you left Walmart, you took the role, and I remember, uh, I think I we I said, I'm going to just check on Erica, see how she's doing. And I, I can't remember if it was on LinkedIn or one of our former colleagues at Walmart. Somehow I learned that you had uh, you had followed Michelle to the NFL NBA Players Association. Tell me about that. How did that come about? You know what? It's literally about the power of relationships. Remember, I said a few minutes ago that early in my career, she was someone I sought out for uh, development opportunities as an associate. And over that 10 year period, she and I developed a mentoring relationship. We would touch base when there were, there were changes in our careers. We would always follow up. There were a group of four of us, we would always commit to having dinner and just checking in with one another to see how we were doing professionally. And when Michelle was appointed, um, the first woman to head a professional sports organization. She had been in her role for almost a year and she reached out to me and she said, I remembered your work ethic. I remember the scholarship you brought to your work and I would like you to become my chief operating officer. Wow. And, uh, it, it let, me stop you. let me stop you right there. And here's why, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I tell people all the time, especially younger lawyers, you're auditioning for something That's right. every single day of your life and every single day of your career, even if you don't know what it is you're auditioning for. Mm -hmm. And I think this story illustrates that perfectly. You know, I, I love the way you put it because um, every day is an opportunity for more, whether you realize it or not. And I had no idea that she had tracked my trajectory with such interest. I found her very engaging and we would just share over the years and little did 
neither one of us anticipated that she would be tapped for that role. And more importantly, neither one of us anticipated that say a year into it, she felt like my skill set was more, most conducive to what she was trying to accomplish. And so for me, not only was it a growth opportunity too, it was a courage moment because at that point I had been your meat and potatoes, white collar criminal defense type attorney. And while the union was facing, you know, some issues internally, by all intents and purposes, that was a new career path for me, professional sports. Well, and I think therein lies not just an opportunity, but also some challenges. I think a lot of people might have been afraid to sort of, you know, stretch a new muscle that they hadn't used before. Um, how do you overcome that at that point in your career when you were trying to make that decision? That's right. You know, courage comes from within. And sometimes you have to do what afraid you do. Sometimes you literally have to say, I have trepidation about this, but I also have the dexterity and the scholarship and the merit and I'm going to give it my best. That's all you can do on any given Sunday. I hate to use a, a sports metaphor, but it seemed appropriate here. Give it your best. And at the end of the day, you know, all, all variables being equal, it invariably will work out. And, you know, my mother used to tell me this all the time, nothing hurts a failure but a try. And that was her way of motivating us. And she would say, you know, if you never get off the bench, you'll never know what you can do. Yeah. And, and so I encourage um, all young associates, go for it. Let somebody else tell you no. And speaking of Vernon, he signed one of my books, May Your Dreams Be Your Only Boundaries. Thought I was special. I learned he signed a lot of books that way. <laughs> But what it kind of reinforced to me is, why would I tell myself no? I will leave that for somebody else. I think uh, we have the same Southern roots. So our, uh, our parents instilled that same ethos in us uh, as, as, uh, as what you just shared. So continuing with the, uh, the trajectory of your career and how these steps sort of propelled you forward, um, you were courageous enough to step out and, you know, join the uh, Players Association. Mm -hmm. And what you learned there uh, helped prepare you for what was next. And again, when I heard that you were the GC at Ole Miss, I was like, wow. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. That role actually was tied to sports as well. Uh, again, for me, relationships are important. And I got a phone call from a mentor who basically tracked my progression since law school. And she literally said to me, do you know what's happening down here with the NCAA? We need somebody to come down here and bring some order. And we feel like that with your background in professional sports, you can help us right the ship. Now, I went to law school at Ole Miss. So in that sense, for that reason alone, the university is near and dear to my heart. And it was an opportunity for me to go back home and basically give back and pour into an institution that poured into me. Uh, the university was far from perfect, um, remarkably imperfect, if you will. And so I took, again, I took that challenge. I felt like I could parlay my experience in professional sports into collegiate sports. And I said, yes. But as you can imagine, the role of a chief legal officer and general counsel for a university is so much more expansive than that. Athletics turned out to be on one-tenth of what I did. It's like running a small city by comparison. Well, and from there, you took a leadership role with the Big Ten. I did. At the Big Ten, I was, uh, my initial role was Chief Legal Officer and General Counsel. The Big Ten historically had not had that role before, but Kevin Warren, when he came in as commissioner, created that path. 
So here's the what I've noticed about each of these roles. White collar, particularly at a global Fortune One company, um, the Players Association for the National Basketball Association, GC at Ole Miss, now the Big Ten. A, a number of those are not roles that people typically see women, That's and right. particularly women of color. Um, what does it say about you? And perhaps the times we find ourselves in now that an opportunity like that or a series of opportunities like that um, avail themselves to you or vice versa uh, in a way that people might not typically think about. I think for me, I have had the blessing or the good fortune to been exposed to some very innovative mentors people who put words to action when it came to diversity and just didn't use it as lip service. You know, you were here all the time. Diversity is about being invited and equity inclusion is about being invited to dance. You know, you've heard those metaphors before. Um, but I have been around people who appreciated the necessity of giving substantive roles to women of color. And I've been an unintended beneficiary of that. I, I can't take credit for it. The only thing I could say is early in my career, I got some good advice. Your scholarship, your merit, and your good work and deeds, that should be your passport. And so that's kind of what I've carried with me um, moving forward. But fortuitously for me, some very innovative people saw me in capacities that, frankly, I didn't see myself initially. Well, the other thing I've noticed is that at each step of the way, and you just alluded to that, um, people tapped you on the shoulder because they saw something in you from what you had done previously. So again, it gets to the point we made earlier about uh, really auditioning every day for what's next. So let me let me go on record right now and say, if you decide you want to join a law firm, I want first dibs. Okay. Wayne Morris, you need not respond to that right now, but uh, I say without fear of contradiction that we, <laughs> you would be quite the catch for any law firm. Uh, Erica, yes. thank you so much for time. I appreciate you making time for us. Um, it's been fantastic catching up with you again and listening to your pearls of wisdom. All right. It's been my pleasure and keep doing what you're doing, brother. You're helping the masses. You really are. Uh, you're near and dear to my heart. Thank you, Erica. Erica McKinley joining us. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.